Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Book of Acts, chapter 2. Book of Acts, chapter 2. They'll, the the uh, scriptures will also be on the screens, so if you, don't, if you don't have your Bibles this morning, that's perfectly fine. Uh, I know, it's, I think it's raining outside, so if internet's a little um, a little fuzzy right now and you can't pull up your apps, then uh, just just look on the screens, okay? Uh, let me let me start this way this morning. Um, anybody love Jesus in the house today? Anybody love Jesus? All right. Any, so does anybody believe that this is the Word of God? Okay. Um, so if I can show you something in the Word of God, will you believe it? And if, if I can show you something in the Word of God, will you not just believe it, but according to James, will you do it? <laughs> Y'all was a lot more enthusiastic a minute ago. I'm not trying to set you up except to set you up for success as a follower of Jesus. Okay? So um, just I just want to build that platform today before, before I preach. Acts chapter 2. Verse 41 is where we're going to start. Those who believed what Peter said, Peter just preached a message. We'll talk about it in a second. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers, now this is going to start but begin to sound familiar in the last from the last month or so. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the chance to be in your in your presence today with your people. And now, Lord, we thank you for all of those people today who declared their love for you, who declared their belief in your word as, uh, as truth. And God, I pray that today as we begin to uh, unpack your word, that we will see your truth revealed, not just in scripture, but we'd see it revealed in our lives. And I pray, God, that you would give us the courage not just to believe in our minds, but practice in our lives the things that you reveal to us today through your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the passage that we just read is the conclusion Uh, of what could be termed the Pentecostal revival. The Pentecostal revival. It was the highlight. It was the pinnacle of a uh, world-changing, life-changing day. Now, I want you to look at the summary of the day's events. Peter preached a powerful and convicting message. 
3,000 people believed and were baptized and were added to the church. They attended, uh, they entered a period of time where community was formed, where the word was going forth. Prayer and worship was almost constant in their lives and in that community. Needs were met. Spiritual formation was happening. Miracles were frequent. Generosity flowed. Favor was flowing. And people were getting saved every day. The word revival is probably the most overused and misunderstood word in the American church. But I don't think anybody can argue that what they were experiencing, what was just described in Acts chapter 2, was a revival. Would you say amen to that? A revival is not a series of meetings. You can't just call a revival, right? It's not a series of meetings. It isn't six weeks of worship and no preaching. Revival is what we just described in Acts chapter 2. It's a breakout of God's power in a way that changes so many lives that it gets the attention. It affects the people in the community. It's an expression of all the aspects of discipleship. It's the teaching and preaching of the word. It's worship. It's prayer. It's ministry. It's evangelism. It's fellowship. It's bringing back to life. It's reviving something that's, that's been dead. But how does that happen? Where does revival come from? Is there a formula? Is there a pattern? Is there something in the word that we can see that can, that can lead to one of those kinds of revivals. Well, I want you to think this morning, I want you to think of revival like a volcano. Think of it like a volcano. When a volcano erupts, everybody knows it. And everybody can see the effects. But, but a whole lot had already been happening below the surface before it finally happened. Right? The lava had been rising for quite some time. Kind of like there are little fires of revival all over our country and all over our world right now. Kind of, kind of like little vents of steam, little hot spots, little fires that break through the surface. But what we're wanting, what we're needing, we're saying, Lord, I need you. What we need is this explosion that changes the landscape. Some, sometimes just the landscape of a person's life. And sometimes the entire landscape of a culture or even of, of that historical moment. So how do we get from where we are to the explosion that happened in the book of Acts? Now, I want us to look back through some of the preceding verses to see if we can see some things that we can do to help raise the spiritual lava level. First within us and then around us. Don't ever pray for revival as something that's external. Revival happens here first before it happens anywhere else. Okay? So um, today's message is called Revival Rising. Revival Rising. There, this is going to be a, a really kind of a different feel than most of the messages that I, that I preach. A lot of you talk about me stepping on your toes. Uh, people actually come and show me their feet sometimes. And, and accuse me of stepping on their toes. Today might be more like a kick in the pants. So, and I don't want to alarm anybody, but there's more than three points. Okay? There's, 
Did you feel the earth move under your feet when there's more than three points? So let's dive in. Um, if, you, if you want to see revival rise in yourself, in our church, in our land, the first thing we have to do is wake up. Wake up. I want to show it to you. I told you I'm going to show you everything in the Word today. Acts chapter 1. Let's go back to verse 8. Jesus is talking. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday he'll return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Now this picture is pretty striking. The, the, the most committed believers in the entire world at that moment in time are standing motionless, gazing into the heavens. I'm sure I'd have been doing the same thing. Now, to think about everything that they had seen and experienced in the previous three and a half years. They had been called by Jesus to follow him. They had lived and worked and ministered with Jesus during that time. And then they saw him arrested and tortured and executed and buried and then resurrected. And then they had a few more weeks with him as he continued to teach them and talk about the work that, that he was leaving them. And then in what seemed like the middle of a conversation, he's just gone. He's gone. He ascends, just rises straight up into the sky. And they are stunned, baffled. Dazed and confused, right? Maybe even traumatized. Just standing there, looking so intently into the sky that they apparently didn't notice that two angels are now standing among them. And the two angels had to, had to get their attention. They provided them a much-needed jolt back to reality. They said, hey, what are you standing around for? What are you standing around for? Why are you looking into the heavens? Jesus is gone. He's coming back. He'll be back, but not right now. And if they said anything else, it's not recorded in Scripture. That's all they said. Why didn't they tell them what to do next? Why didn't they give them instructions? Why didn't they give them a now go and do? Why didn't they do that? Because Jesus already had done it. He already told them what they were supposed to be doing. He told them in the period of time between the resurrection and the ascension, he said, go into all the world and do what? Make disciples of everybody, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the commandments that I've given you, and I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. He already told them that. He already told them right there, just a few verses before. He said, go, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise. Go to, Jeru to Jerusalem and wait before you go anywhere else. Before you go into all the world, go and wait. They knew what they were supposed to do. They just needed to be awakened that now is the time. 
Ladies, gentlemen, why are we standing around looking at each other? Why are we standing around looking at each other? What are we waiting for? Jesus is gone. And he's, he's already told us what to do. It's our turn now to go and do the work of the kingdom. Jesus is coming back. Yes, but he didn't tell us to sit down and wait on him. He told us to get up and get busy and stay busy until he comes. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to stop staring at each other and recognize what's going on around us. It's time to wake up and recognize that we've been given a commission. It's time to wake up and look into the fields and see that they're white for harvest. It's time for us to wake up and realize that we've got something we need to be doing. So ask yourself, what's got you distracted? If you're not looking at what Jesus told you to look at, if you're not doing what Jesus told you to do, what are you doing? What are you looking at? What's got your attention? What do you have your eyes on? The commands of Scripture could not be more clear. Are we more focused on the things of the kingdom or on the things of the world? What is it that occupies our thoughts? We talk about wanting revival. Everything worth having costs you something. You say, well, salvation didn't cost. Salvation costs everything. It's free to you, but it's not free. Jesus paid an incredible price. Everything worth having costs something. So what are you willing to pay to see revival? What if it costs you some hobbies? What if it costs you some refocusing and repurposing in your life? What if it requires you to change and get really serious about the things of God? What if it requires you to be one of those weirdos you've always talked about? Valerie and I were talking with some friends this week, and, uh, and she was sharing that just recently she's just become more aware of the spiritual things, just that more aware than ever that God is real, that heaven is real, that hell is real, that this stuff's not a fairy tale, that this book is not a work of fiction, that this is real, and every word will come to pass, and it's time that we live like it. So I'm, I'm here to tell you today, if we want to see revival rising, the first thing we have to do is wake up. Here's the next thing. Pray up. Pray up. Let me show it to you in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then the apostles returned after the angel showed up, told them to wake up. The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives about a half a mile when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Then here's this list of everybody who was there. And then 14 says, They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. The apostles woke up. They stopped standing around. They went to Jerusalem to the upper room. What was the main activity that they were engaged in while they were there. Prayer. 
They were constantly united in prayer. That's what the Word says. Every revival, whether a personal revival or a global one, rises from the bent knees of a prayerful servant. Revival rises from our prayer closets. There's no substitute for it. We have to pray. And forget revival. If you just want to survive as a believer in this world, you have got to make prayer a priority. You want to walk in the victory of the champion, then you've got to pray. You've got to pray. You've got to make prayer a priority. And let me add this very quickly. If you don't like the message so far, you're really going to hate it after I say this. Don't stop. Don't start explaining why you can't pray. Why you don't like to pray. Why you're not comfortable praying. Why you don't have time to pray. Just stop. There are no valid excuses when it comes to praying. It's either important or it's not. And I promise you, when you look at your calendar, you do what's important to you. Prayer is the hardest part of being a follower of Jesus for me. I know that sounds weird and it sounds crazy coming from a pastor, but it's true. This will not surprise any of you. I am so ADD. Whoo! Um, I chased three squirrels while I was standing right there in two seconds. I, I am so ADD. If I get still to pray, my brain gets real excited and starts thinking of 137 things that I either forgot to do, should be doing, could be doing right now. None of y'all do that, do you? Um, I, I hear people say, oh, I'm just, I'm just so refreshed in my spirit. I just spent three and a half hours in prayer. And I'm like, for real? I, I get, it's, that's frustrating to me, y'all. If that's, just keep that to yourself. That's frustrating to me. That's intimidating and humiliating for me because I spend like three and a half minutes of focused prayer and I'm exhausted because I like wrestle that three and a half minutes to the ground to stay in prayer. Take it from me. That cannot be an excuse it can't be an excuse. If you jump up and go start a load of laundry in the middle of prayer just because you can't not, don't get condemned and quit. Go right back to prayer. You have to. You have to. Prayer is communication to God. It's the, it's the only means you have of talking to God about what's going on in your life. And it's the preferred means of, of personal revelation back to you. The Bible is general revelation to all of us, but prayer is personal. They never contradict each other because you're talking to the author when you pray. So don't, you don't have to worry about that. But God can show you from His Word and, and speak to you in that moment what it is that's most important for you right then. Here's why prayer is worth it for me. Here's why prayer is worth it for me to keep fighting for it in my life. Because it's so hard. It's worth it because it's hard. Here's what I mean. I've been a student of military history my whole life. Military strategy and history teaches you that when you run into a pocket of fierce resistance, 
you know you're close to something important. The enemy doesn't protect stuff that's worthless. They protect the valuable stuff. I know prayer is incredibly important because the enemy makes it so incredibly difficult to do. Anything that's that terrifying to the enemy should be a top priority for a believer. What's the enemy trying to keep us from? A whole lot of things. Peace, provision, breakthrough, deliverance, calling, anointing, and you know what most of all? Revival. Revival. The enemy is fighting so hard because he knows that revival comes to your life when you pray up. And revival comes to a church when the church Praise up. So he's going to throw all hell against you to keep you from praying. That's why it's so hard, but that's why it's so important. If you have to start and stop a dozen times, keep doing it because it's worth it. Prayer is about staying in union with God. It doesn't have to be in a certain way or at a certain time. It's an exercise of relationship, not of religion. We aren't being graded. Like God's not sitting on the throne going, eh, it was a solid C+. I might do about 70% of that right there. That's not how that works. Prayer isn't throwing wishes in a well and hoping for the best. It's taking our rightful place in the authority that Jesus gave us. It's, It's operating in faith as we allocate the resources and the promises of the Word. It's binding and loosing, believing that the forces of heaven are being deployed to bring those things to pass. It's more than God bless my food or watch over me while I sleep. It's a simple, beautiful, constant connection between you and the Father. Revival rises on the prayers of the people. It's time to wake up. And it's time to pray up. Now let's keep going. Revival is, revival is rising. The next thing that you have to do is stand up. Stand up. Let's look at verse 15. Here's the next, the next verse. During this time when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter, what's those next two words? Stood up. Peter stood up and he addressed them. He's, if you keep reading, Peter said, Listen, we got to get things in order. He said, Judas is gone, so we're a man down. We got to get our house in order. Uh, we, we've got we've to get ready for whatever it is that Jesus is about to do in us and through us. I think Peter had this sense that God was up to something big and that they needed to get ready. And I think part of of, of revival rising is sensing that God is up to something and being willing to respond appropriately with some intensity and with some urgency. If we're going to see revival in our lives and in our church and in our land, we need to stand up and look around our lives and see what's out of order. What's out of order in your life? I've been talking to the staff the last week or two. I said, what happens if 25 people get saved next week? What do we do with them? 
How do we make sure they stay on the path of discipleship? How do we make sure they grow? How do we make sure they become the solid, strong disciples that Jesus saved, is going to save them for? What do we do? So we're trying to get our house in order structurally so that when the revival comes, we're ready. But what about us personally? What about our lives personally? We need to stand up and look around in our lives and see what's out of order. You're like, John, stand up. Stand up to who? Stand up to you. Stand up to yourself. The hardest person you're ever going to try to lead is the one who looks back at you from the mirror. It's way easier to tell somebody else what they should be doing than it is for you to do what you need to do. But what's standing in the way of your revival doesn't hinge on what somebody else, is, what somebody else does. You have to stand up to yourself and put, get, get yourself in order. Get your life in order first. A lot of that happens in prayer as we get to talk to God and He gets to talk back to us. It's time to wake up, to pray up, and stand up. To get the sin out that we've been ignoring. Most of us know the things in our lives that are not pleasing to God. How long are we going to flaunt that in the face of God? Our grandbabies uh, are going to be three in the next next few months. Um, They're in that stage now where they will do exactly what we told them not to do looking us in the eye while they do it. Y'all remember that stage? Yeah. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? Um, They're testing the boundaries. They're trying to figure out what they can can and cannot get by with, daring us to do something about it. And it's frustrating, but it's understandable. That's part of the development. And honestly, it's it's just kind of cute. It's kind of cute when you're two. It ain't cute anymore when you're 22 or 42. It's not cute anymore. Are we really going to continue to play chicken with God? Are we really going to look Him in the eye and continue to do what He's told us clearly not to do? Are we really going to hold on to the unrepentant sin and try to maintain a relationship with Him like that's not happening? Listen, nobody's perfect. Everybody messes up. That's not what I'm talking about. And you know that's not what we're talking about. When, when are we going to stand up and say, there are things in my life that are not in order, and today is the day that I'm going to do something about it. My relationship with Him is too valuable for me to keep messing around. I need revival in my life. I need revival in my family. I need revival in my church and in my community. And it's going to start with me standing up to myself and getting right with God. Maybe what's holding us back, keeping us staring into the sky, is our pain. It's the things that have hurt us. We talked about the disciples 
be, being traumatized, being bewildered about the events that they had experienced. And I get that. I've spent the last several years trying to get people to admit that they've experienced pain. That's half the reason I preached the series and wrote the book Heart Attacks. But listen, that's, uh, that's half the battle, but that's only half. The other half is taking that recognition that you're in pain and then going and do something about it, going and finding the healing that you need. Jesus is the healer, but you have to pursue your healing. I don't remember who said, who, who said this, but it's true. The, the pain may not be your fault, but the healing is your responsibility. You've got to stand up, look in the mirror, and say, today is the day that you start getting better. Today is the day that you start getting this behind you. Today is the day that you get off the road of pain, the road of heartache, or maybe paralyzed in the emergency lane of, of life and get on the road to healing and restoration and revival. Revival's rising. Let's stand up and get our house in order. Here's the next thing. Fire up. Fire up. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. I don't have time for this one, but uh, listen up should probably be in there somewhere. Listen for the sounds of heaven. There was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Maybe the most significant thing to me about the Pentecostal revival that we're reading about here is the personal nature. They weren't all affected. They were each affected. God doesn't so much move in groups of people as much as He does in the people of the groups. It's the individuals. Each one of the people in the upper room had a flame. It rested on each of them. And, and the Bible never says that the flame left. It might not have been visible any longer, but it never left. See, that's the difference in the way the Spirit moves in the New Testament and the way He moved in the Old Testament. He abides now. He stays. If that's the case, then why aren't we on fire? If we're going to see revival rise, then we've got to be torches. We've got to be lamps that stay aflame. Not, not like the uh, little lighters. We, we call them clickers at my house. Well, you do. You click the flame on, you do what you need to do, and then it goes off. We, we've, been spending, we've, we've, been, we've been acting that way in our spiritual lives for too long. We just flick it on when we need to be spiritual and then turn it off for the rest of our day. We've got to be a torch that stays aflame. We've got to fire up. We, we have to get on fire and stay that way. And it's a, a matter of the will. 
We have to decide that that's how we're going to live our life. And we, have to, we have to decide that that's how we're going to approach the things of the Spirit. I'm not suggesting that anything is faked or anything gets worked up. Y'all know me better than that. I'm simply saying that you have to lead yourself past your feelings, past your emotions, past your tiredness or whatever in a particular moment and get zeroed in on the things of God. It's time to fire up. Let's keep going. We, this is going so well, I'm just going to keep going. We have, to, we have to fill up. We have to fill up. Look at the next verse, chapter 2, verse 4. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Everyone in the room was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's time to quit playing. It's time to quit hedging. It's time to quit hemming and hawing and get serious about Holy Spirit empowerment in our lives. Not in our church, in our lives. Say, John, isn't this a Pentecostal church? Yep, part of the Church of God denomination, the oldest Pentecostal denomination in the country. But if there are not Spirit-filled people to occupy these chairs, then this is not a Pentecostal church. You can call it whatever you want to. We have our statements of faith. We have our doctrines. We have our beliefs. We have all of that lovely stuff. But if we are not Spirit-empowered, then we cannot claim to be a Spirit-filled church no matter what the name is. The New Testament is clear. We cannot follow Jesus without the Holy Spirit leading us. Guiding us. Listen, I've heard all the excuses, and I've used most of them. You say, but I don't, I don't understand everything about the Holy Spirit. You don't understand everything about Jesus, but it didn't stop you from getting saved. He is eternal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is eternal. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. You are never going to know everything about Him. It's just not possible. But you know enough. What have you done with what you do know? How much of yourself have you surrendered would you be better off or worse off if you surrendered yourself to the Spirit today? Would you look more like Christ or less? Would you be more victorious or less? You say, but John, I don't think we mean the same thing when we say Spirit-filled. Okay. How are you doing by your definition of Spirit-filled? That's all I'm saying. Forget about Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, Charismatic. Just you and Jesus. Have you told Jesus that you want to be absolutely filled with His Spirit? Whatever that means to you. Luke chapter 11. Jesus said, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if, you give them, if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. 
Jesus says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, and you've heard this, you've heard this passage before, right? What you may not have done is continue to read to the end of the verse. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's what he was talking about. I'm not even trying to get you to define what it means. I'm just saying, have you said to the Lord, fill me up, Lord. Fill me with your Spirit. And I'm just saying, I double-dog dare you. You ain't heard that since the sixth grade. If this is what you believe, if, if Jesus is your Lord, I dare you to tell him, fill me with your spirit. And mean it. I ain't talking about just trying to repeat. It's not an incantation. It's not magic words. I'm talking about you finally getting to the point in your life where you say, I just don't care anymore. I'm tired of numb. I'm tired of ordinary. I'm tired of the way I've been. I'm tired of myself. I'm tired of all of this mess that I've been dragging around. I'm tired and I'm ready for something to change. And I'm finally tired enough to look at the truth in the face and say that right there is what I've been running from my whole life, but that's what I need. Fill me up, Holy Spirit. The kind of fill up that abides and stays. The kind of fill up that goes with you on Tuesday mornings and on Thursday afternoons. The kind of fill up that washes some stuff away and renews you and restores you and resurrects you. Because the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of resurrection. And He will fill you and bring you to life in ways that you didn't know were possible. You talk about getting fired up. The Holy Spirit is the oil that you need for that flame to stay lit and and never run dry and never burn out. Revival started to rise when they woke up and when they prayed up and when they stood up and when they fired up and when they got filled up. There was one more thing that they did for revival to rise to the point that it exploded. And this is it. They stepped up. They stepped up. I want to show it to you in Acts chapter 2, verse 12. And they, the people that Peter preached to stood there. Uh, sorry, the people that came, they heard the sound from heaven and they came running. And they were like, what in the world's going on? And, and, and they stood there amazed and perplexed. And they said, what... What does this even mean? And the others in the crowd ridiculed them and they said, they're just drunk, that's all. And Peter stepped forward with the other 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. The people of the city heard the noise. They heard the sound from heaven. They showed up and they heard them praising God in all these different languages. And they had questions. They were open, most of them, but they weren't convinced. They needed answers. So when they said, what in the world is this? What's this all about? Peter and the other 11 disciples stepped up. It was a a kingdom 
moment. It was an opportunity that, that the Lord opened, the door opened right in front of them. And so they stepped up and Peter preached and he explained and he challenged and he invited them to be saved and 3,000 of them were and the revival that changed the world began. Listen, there is a world that's waiting for answers. Why do we believe what we do? Why do we live the way we live? Who, who is this Jesus we talk about and what's so, what's so special about him? What's, what's he done in our lives? They have questions. Many of them are open, but they're not convinced. They need someone who will step up, who will engage with them. Will you step up today? Not to be a preacher to thousands. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Not to beat them over the head with a Bible that they don't even believe in yet. They need somebody who will listen to them respectfully and respond to them with integrity. People who will actually tell them, I don't know, sometimes. Because you don't know. And we've been faking it for 2,000 years, we've been acting like we know things when we honestly just don't know sometimes. And that's the kind of mess that keeps us separated from They don't want any part of us when we can't even be honest with ourselves. If we'll listen to their questions, if we'll respond respectfully and with integrity and tell them sometimes, I don't know, or this is hard, or whatever, but Jesus makes all the difference. It's like Corey said today, I don't know what I do in my life. Life's hard enough. I can't imagine living it without Jesus. That's a conversation you can have. You don't have to preach a, a long, drawn-out message. That's a conversation you can have. We need people to stand up who will be real and relational and reaching. Listen, this is the most important step. Why? Well, let me answer that question with a question. Did you know that most of the Earth's surface is the result of a volcanic explosion? The lava poured out of uh, an erupting volcano and then it cooled and it reshaped the landscape around it. Why is stepping up the most important part of a revival rising? Because it doesn't matter what else you do in preparation for that moment. If you don't step up when the moment's right, it's all been for nothing. It's been for nothing. If the lava rises all the way to the top, but it never explodes into the world below, nothing changes. And I don't know anybody who doesn't believe that this world needs to change. It needs a volcanic eruption that only revival can bring. Revival's rising. Are you going to do what it takes to bring it to pass in your life, to bring it to pass in this church, to bring it to pass in this world? It's like Valerie said. We either believe this stuff or we don't. It's either real or it's not. And if it's real, what in the world are we waiting on?
Y'all stand with me. Some of us need to repent and get the sin out that we know about. Some of us just need to commit and say, I have not been taking this seriously enough. If I believe in it, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to stop with the excuses. Some of us need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of us need to, need to be ready to move. We've done the first five steps, but we hadn't stepped out. We're not doing anything. We've got to get ready to serve and to love and to engage with the culture. At the very least, I want, to, I want to challenge you to pray this every day. Just say, Father, use me. Jesus, live through me. Spirit, fill me. If you start your day every day with this acknowledgement that the things of the kingdom are the most important things in your day, I'm not saying don't go to work. I'm not saying don't earn a living for your family. I'm not saying any of that. It's not a change necessarily of schedule as much as it is a change of mindset. It's a change of priority. When you focus on the things of the kingdom as the most important part of your day, then I think you'll start seeing revival rise in your life. We're going to pray. They're going to sing. It's time to pray. Father, to the best of my ability, I've delivered the word that you placed in my heart. Imperfectly, but obediently. And God, I pray that you would take the word that, that you sent to this church, that you would penetrate the hearts and the minds of your people. Because this is your kingdom. And this world belongs to you. And these people in this world who are lost and dying, those are your children that you died for as well. And you want to have right relationship with them. But how can they hear without somebody to tell them? And I just pray that you would help us, Lord, to continue to allow revival to rise. And Lord, I pray that it explodes in my life, in my family in this church, in this community. And that every bit of the honor and the glory goes to you where it belongs. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.